Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, Lead Pastor Mike Yearly continues his seven-part series entitled The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And today he'll bring us the fourth message of this series entitled Right Relationships, Loving One Another. Habit number one, pleasing God is our top priority. But he said, Jesus, when I said, you know, but there's a second priority that God has in our lives. This is number two priority. And, and for this one, the, the, first, the first answer he quoted from Deuteronomy 6. I don't think anyone was taken by surprise. It was like they're familiar with that passage. But for the second priority, he quoted a verse that's very obscure. It's back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, in the midst of a section of miscellaneous laws. And they're, they're kind of uh, packed away, uh, tucked away. There was this little verse in Leviticus 19 that says, you're to love one another as you love yourself. Love others as you love yourself. And Jesus plucks out that, that one little gem, and he says, okay, there it is. In the middle of Leviticus 19, that's God's number two priority. So we're going to love God with all of our heart. We're going to love people. We're going to love others as we love ourselves. Well, if that verse was obscure prior to that day, it was no longer obscure after that. Jesus made it famous. And so in the early church, they picked up on this. And if you take your, well, you don't need to take your Bibles. I put on your note sheet just to make it easy because I knew this, we were just getting started and you wouldn't be awake yet. So anyway, um, it's Romans, Romans chapter 13. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. He writes a letter to the, the church at Rome and he says, he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And then the commandments, and he's gives several, he's going to quote several, the Ten Commandments here. He says the commandments, like, uh, for example, do not commit adultery, uh, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And then catch this, whatever other commandment there may be, you might want to underline that. Whatever other commandment, any, any other rules of relationship in the Bible are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And then he writes to the church of Galatia. He says the same thing. Next verse, 514. The entire law is summed up in this single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus' half-brother, James, he writes a little book, to uh, a letter to a church. And he calls this law from Leviticus 19, he calls it the royal law like the law of the kingdom, the law of the king, the law of King Jesus. He says, if you're really keeping the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You see, and so the New Testament picks up on this after Jesus taught it, that, hey, this is God's number two top priority. And therefore, if we're desiring to become a healthy church, obviously, this needs to be a priority for us, one of the top seven, one of the habits that we would learn to love one another. But what does it really look like? And what do right relationships look like? Well, reality is, much of the New Testament is written to spell out, here's how to do relationship. This is how you do it. This is what it looks like in your church. Here's how to treat one another. But there are certain passages, I call them classic relationship passages in the New Testament, that are long passages that just spell it out. They say, you want to know what it means to love one another? Okay, here it is. And they just give you like, you know, 8, 10, 15 examples. It means this, it means that, it means this. And so today we're going to start by looking at one of them. We obviously can't look at all of them, but um, let's look at one of them. It's in Romans chapter 12. You should be awake by now, so get your Bibles out. Romans chapter 12, and we'll start at verse 9. 
Now, if you have a New International Version, which is what we use here, right above verse 9 is a category title. It says love. See, it's a section on love. So that's the title. You know, what does it mean to love one another, do relationships the right way? And he's going to say, he's going to break it down for us. Okay, love each other. What's that look like? Well, let me give you some examples. So here he goes. Verse 9, love must be sincere. It's got to be authentic, genuine. We're to hate what's evil and cling to what's good. Oh, that's interesting. So love has a moral content. It's not just everything's okay. Number 10, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We'll talk about this more later. But maybe in the same way that an older brother would look out for a younger brother, be devoted, you know, protect her. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Here's one, honor one another above yourselves. So we're to put each other first. We'll talk about that later. Skip down to verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. So uh, loving one another means we're going to share our material resources. We're going to practice hospitality. We're going to use our homes to love others. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. So not everyone's going to like it that you're following Jesus. Persecution is going to come. And so how do you respond? You're going to bless those and you're not to curse them. Uh, verse 15, in the body of Christ, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So we're to enter into each other's experience in life. We're to have show empathy towards one another. We're to share the joys and we're to share the sorrows. Verse 16, we're to live in harmony with one another. We'll talk about this more later. Uh, we're to get along as a family. We're not to be proud, but we're willing to be, to be willing to be associate with people of low position. And so the whole way we look at people, our prejudices are to change. We're to grow past our prejudices. You know, it used to be high socioeconomic, low socioeconomic. Now, now in the body, we're going we're to do relationship a new way. We're not going to treat people uh, based on their income or the kind of car they drive or the house they live at. We're going to move past those things. Don't be conceited. Verse 17. Now he starts talking about conflict, and we'll come back to this later, but he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. When someone does you wrong, don't respond the same way. Be careful in conflict situations to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Make that your goal. Don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. Let God kind of pay back when it needs to be paid back. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Don't let others determine how you're going to respond in a situation. Don't let their evil determine your behavior. You rise above it. You take the high road, okay? And so this is just one of many examples in the New Testament. I call them classic relationship passages. There's several, Ephesians 4 and 5, Colossians 3. There's several of these that just kind of spell out, here's what right relationships look like. And if we had time today, we, we could just spend a lot of time, we spent hours going, let's just go through the next one, you know? But we don't have that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about right relationships at Rocky Peak. Because this, this series that we're in, this is not a generic series. This is not just what, what healthy churches somewhere should be. It's healthy church here. It's, it's about us. And so we want to talk about, if we're serious about this, if we want to have right relationships, if we want to love one another, if we want to fulfill God's number two priority, what does that look like in our lives? And we don't have time to go through every passage in the New Testament, these classic passages. So what I did is I'm boiling it down to what I'm calling three master rules of relationship. Okay? These are like umbrella rules. 
that most of the things in the New Testament is going to tell us is going to fall under one or the others in the concept, okay? So let's jump in. Let's talk about these three rules. Number one, rule number one is to take care of one another. The first rule that God would say is, is we want to do relationship Rocky Peaks. He says he wants us to take care of each other, look out for one another. Now there in your note sheet, Romans 12, 10, and, I, and for each of these points, we'll be going back to Romans 12, where we just spent time at, just to kind of reference it. But just to make it faster, I put it on your, mach- on your, on your sheets. So in Romans 12, 10, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now I know some of you grew up with, with brothers who were devoted to you with with less than brotherly love. Sound brotherly hate or something like that. If my sister were here, she would give testimony to that, my younger sister, and all the things I would do to her, torturing her um, as, as we grew up. But fortunately, I, I met Jesus, and that's all changed now. But, uh, but be devo- I don't know, did, did any of you have like an older brother or sister who was truly devoted to you, just kind of looked out for you? Did anyone like that? Yeah, okay, some of you did. You're not real proud of it. You're kind of doing this thing, but <laughs> let me see those hands again. You had an older brother or sister kind of looking. Okay, quite a few. That's good. That's much improved. Uh, last night, we only had two people. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know how this is. An older brother or sister who, who's devoted and brotherly love to their, their, you know, the younger, um, their younger sibling and how they look out for them. They watch out for them. Uh, I remember when my sister was coming and she was, uh, I'd kind of grown a little bit by this point. I, I, was a, uh, I was a senior in high school and she was freshman in, in high school. And I was senior class president, kind of known on campus and all. And I looked out for my younger sister. Is she okay? Is she's taken care of? You know, is she all right? I remember I was a TA in one of her classes and that was fun just to be in there and kind of see her friends and, and watch out. And he says, you know what? That's the way it is in the body of Christ. We need to look out for one another. We need to take care of one another. Now, this takes a lot of different forms. In the last series, we studied in uh, Acts chapter 2. If you were here in September, we, we talked about the opening day of the ancient church. Remember that? And when the Holy Spirit came and how the DNA of Jesus, how his priorities and his instincts were downloaded or transferred into these brand new Christians. And right away, they instinctively, you know, like penguins jumping in the ocean, you know, when they're four months old, instinctively they started doing certain things. And one of those things that you saw is they had this tremendous sense, we need to take care of one another. In fact, some of them even began selling certain properties they had in order to take care of the poor in their midst. It was a beautiful thing. And this carries on throughout the New Testament. It's not just there. It carries on in other places. For example, there in your note sheet, Romans twelve thirteen, we saw this. Share with God's people who are in need. Okay, so use your financial resources to help each other. Now, here's a real interesting one. Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is one of those classic relationship passages. This is the one you're going to be studying this week in your life group homework. But here's just an example. It's a window into the thoughts of the early church, into the thought processes. In 428, just a really, you know, it's... One of those verses you could pass over easily, and yet it's so profound. Now, remember, these are new Christians, so he's giving them basic rules of relationship. And this is what you'll be studying this, this week. So 428, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Okay, so you're a new Christian. Here's rule number one. 
Um, stop ripping off people, okay? Um, this, you know, you kind of think this is sort of basic. Well, this is where these people were coming from. A lot of us can relate. You know, we were there before we came to Christ. And he says, okay, the, hey, you, you guys that are burglarizing houses and fencing the, 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 you know, fencing the, the, the stolen goods, and that's how, you, that's how you pay the bills each month, you need to knock that off. And that's kind of rule number one. You come to Jesus now, we don't do that anymore, all right? So he says, he's been stealing, must steal no longer. But instead, you need to work, okay? You need to uh, get a job and uh, do something useful with your hands. Okay, so that, that makes sense, right? Now, if he stopped right there, nothing would surprise me. But well, what, what comes next really takes me by surprise. He says, um, now, why should we get a job? Uh, well, so he can pay the bills. No, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, now that's the, if I were writing a letter, that is the last thing I would write, honestly. I would not say, hey, those of you who are stealing and ripping people off, um, I'd say it's time for you to get a job and find something useful to do, period. That's how I would write the letter. When Paul says, no, no, that's not why we work. We work so we have something to share with those in need. Isn't that amazing? So, so Paul lays out there's kind of three ways to approach your finances. One way to approach your finances is to steal to get what you need. A better way is to work to get what you need. But there is a third and highest way you work so you can share with those who, who don't have the ability, you see? So you, you catch this mentality of the New Testament, how we're all in this together, and a healthy church really looks out for one another. Now, it's not just, it's not just uh, uh, physically, it's emotionally too, like we looked at that verse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so it's, it's emotional, it's physical, it's financial, it's spiritual, but there's a sense of taking care of one another. You see, that's rule number one. And many of the rules in the New Testament fall under this category, take care of one another, look out for one another like a younger brother or sister. Now, number two. Rule number two is we're to put others first. So we're going to take care of each other, then we're going to put each other first. Now we also saw this in Romans 10, there in your note sheet. Honor one another above yourselves. Put each other first. Um, the Apostle Paul takes it to another level in Philippians chapter 2. He expands on this concept. So let's go there. Philippians chapter 2. If you're new to Rocky Peak, we'd really recommend, we sell Bible tabs out at the, the tape table, and it makes this little, you know, Bible study thing we do much easier. So if you're new at this, don't be intimidated. Just buy some tabs, and then you'll look like you fit in. All right. <laughs> kind of like the rest of us. All right. Verse 3. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, what's selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is a me-first approach to life, okay? It's all about me and what I can achieve. And so he says, um, don't, don't go through life with a me-first uh, attitude, approach. And don't go through life with vain conceit. What is vain conceit? Vain conceit is it's all about me, right? It's I'm the center of the universe, thank you, all right? So he says, don't, don't approach life in that way, but rather in humility, consider others better than yourselves. There it is. Put others first. Each of you 
should look out not only to your own interests, obviously we need to look out for our own interests, but also to the interests of others. In fact, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. He's the model in this. Verse 7, he made himself nothing, and he took the very nature of a servant. So Paul says, in the community of God, in the church of God, in this new relationships we, we do, this, this new uh, community we call to, he says it should be a, a, a you-first community. All right? We're going to put others first. It's not a me-first community. It's a you-first community. It's a community that approaches life together, not by saying, what can I get, but what can I give? You see? I call it the big piece community. You know how this works when, like if you're married or you have roommates or something like that, and you get to the last piece of Marie Callender's lemon meringue pie. (laughs) And you cut the piece. There's two pieces there. One's a big piece and one's a small piece. Now, which one do you offer to your spouse? Well, the small piece because you're looking out for her, right? It's like this is... This is not good stuff. This is bad for you. I'll take the big piece, honey. Because if someone's going to have a stroke and die, it needs to be me. You know, right? No, you know what I'm talking about? You go through life, and there's some people that are big piece people. They're always going to take the big piece, right? They just go through life. They take the big piece wherever they go. And and so God says, no, no, no. You want to be a person who gives the big piece. Honor one another Look for ways to give the... Let me give an example. In the Bible, great story, Genesis 13. We won't turn there, but you can trust me. And if you don't, check it out later. <laughs> okay, Genesis 13. Story of Abraham and Lot. Abraham is the patriarch of the family. He has a younger nephew that he's raised since he was young named Lot. Now Lot's grown up. Lot is very prosperous, has huge herds. Abraham's very prosperous. He has huge herds. And so it's becoming a problem between their herdsmen. There's conflict between this because there's just not enough grazing land, pasture land to go around. And so they're, they're getting into squabbles. And so Abraham sees this conflict coming and he, he goes to his younger nephew, Lot. And he had every right to say, listen, uh, you know, it's been really nice for the last 75 years, but you know, you're, you're old enough now. You're on your own. You need to go. You need to leave. I mean, this is my area and my hand. We have conflict. But he does and He says, you know what, Lot? He says, there's conflict between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. And so here's the deal. I'm going to give you the big piece. He says, if you look around, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You tell me. You make the choice. And so Lot looks around and and Lot takes the big piece. He's a big piece guy. And so what he does, he looks around, he looks down to the Jordan River Valley there, looks down in, and of course because of the Jordan River, it's very lush, a lot of great pasture land. He looks off to the west, it's very arid land, not much pasture land. He says, okay, I choose the big piece. I choose the Jordan River Valley. And so he goes off and Abraham says, okay. He lets him have the big piece. The interesting part of this story, and this is, is so interesting because it's, so, it's such a principle of life. Here's the principle of life. When we choose the big piece, we're on our own. When we choose the small piece, God takes care of us. And this is what happens with Abraham. Is that uh, Lot chooses the big piece? He goes down there. He finds out there's this cool little city that's very prosperous and very, you know, it's just really very yuppie city, um, and it's uh, it's called Sodom. He thinks, what a great place to live, you know. And so he settles down. He raises his family. Does really well um, until <laughs> until it comes a day when God destroys Sodom, and 
And Lot, catch this, loses all those herds. He loses all as well. See, he took the big piece. He ends up losing it all. Abraham, on the other hand, after he gives the big piece, he's feeling a little bit bad about it. Like, I know it's the right thing to do, but man, I just gave up all that pasture land. And God comes to him and he says, Abraham, don't worry about this. I've got your back. I've got you covered. He says, don't even worry. I'm going to take care of you. And Abraham went on to become a wealthier and wealthier man as he gave the big piece away. It's a principle of life. It's a principle in a healthy community that as we, as I focus on serving you and you focus on serving me, guess what? I still get fed, right? You see, and God feeds me. He's going to take care of my needs, but he wants to create a congregation of people who are serving and giving the big piece. There's a couple of verses there I put on your note sheet that talk about this big piece mentality, being big piece givers. Proverbs 11:24. one man gives freely, yet gains even more, but another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Here's another one from Jesus, Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. And he's not just talking about money here, he's talking about all of life. Give and it will be given to you, and it will be given, he uses, he uses an analogy. In those days, you'd go to the market. And uh, you'd buy your grain, and they would, you know, have a measure of some sort that they'd fill it up with. And uh, and if you if you got the right merchant, they would shake it around and they'd pound it down, make sure you got everything that was coming to you. And then they'd pour it into the the, the, the robe or your robe, you know, you could like the lap of your clothes, and you'd carry it home that way. And so he says, "Give, and it will be given to you. It will be given. God will give you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap." For with the measure you use in dealing with others, you see, it will be measured to you. Give and it shall be given. You know, my dad was a great example of this in so many ways in my life. Um, I, I talked to a young man last night. He said, man, you told the stories about your dad. It just meant so much to me because I just didn't have a dad like that. And, and I know a lot of you haven't. Um, but I was really blessed with a dad like this. There are certain points in his life that he kind of, he lived, he was like Abraham to me. He gave me the big piece. I remember, um, flashback with me, I'm five years old, okay? I know it's a long time ago, but just kind of, yeah, you know, back before the transistor radio. Uh, so we're going back, um, I'm five years old, and I live in the land of cowboys and Indians, you know? Cowboys are my heroes, and they're always getting the bad guy, and and so at five years old, my dad comes in one day, gets a family together, and it's just my younger sister, who I, I you know, course love with brotherly love i have my younger sister myself and uh, my parents and my dad explains to us that he's gotten a big bonus at work now this was the only time in my whole life my god my dad got a bonus at work um not because he was a bad worker but because he was an industry that they didn't they didn't do compensation that way they didn't give bonuses so it's very unusual thing and you know my dad could have taken the big piece i mean i didn't know what a bonus was five years old he could have gone out and bought something he wanted would have been fine. I wouldn't have even known the difference. We, we didn't have a lot of money in our family. We, we were fine, but we, we, we didn't have a lot of money. Things were tight. So my dad gets this together. Instead of taking that money and using it on something he wanted, he told the family he wanted to share it with the whole family. He wanted each of us to find something that was very special to us and to buy it. My sister, I can't remember exactly what she got. It was, really, it was really a lame choice, I remember, but it was... <laughs> A doll or something. I, I can't remember. It, kind of ones I would shoot, you know, as a cowboy. But anyway, um, 
You know, it's like that, that thing's really short lifespan, you know. But anyway, but I remember what I got. I, I'd been at a toy store a couple months before, and I'd seen these amazing set of pistols. Yeah, right, guys are going, yeah, we, we know what you're talking about now. Yeah. And I mean, you know, these weren't like Mattel plastic things. They were the real deal, and they were made out of metal, metal guns, and with wood handles that screwed in, just like in the old days. They had leather holsters, double set. You know, I had stood there and looked at these things. They even came with a knife, a little folding knife, so that when you killed the bad guy, you could notch the wood. I mean, they were authentic, you know. You know, and I looked there just longing for these. But they, I mean, they were just absurdly expensive. You can imagine. I mean, it's absurdly expensive. They're so well made. There's no way I could ever get it. And so my dad asked me that day, Michael, what would you like to spend your money on? And I said, Dad, you know those guns? And he's like, great choice. <laughs> you know, and so I, I still remember to this day my dad being Abraham to me. You know, the time when he could have just taken that money, I wouldn't even known, got something for himself. But no, he wanted to share it with the whole family. I have very few memories of my childhood, but that's one I'll, I'll never forget. Now, fast forward to my senior year of high school. Senior year of high school, and uh, I was uh, going to be senior class president, looking forward to the you know, big year and so on. My dad lost his job. He was an electrical engineer. He lost his job, and... He couldn't find work in San Diego, and so eventually he was forced to take work in Torrance. You know, it's a beautiful area. But, and so you got to understand, my dad, my dad's a family man. He, he, his family is everything to him. He loves hanging out with the family, he just loves being at home with the family. And yet, my dad knew it was too far to commute to Torrance, and he didn't want to move me there in my senior year. So his solution was to take our 18-foot travel trailer from the backyard and drive it to a trailer park in Torrance and live up there all week, every week, and commute home on weekends so that I could have my senior year. I, I drove up there once. It was a time, I remember he was going through a very difficult time and my mom was concerned about him just being away from the family and up there and the job wasn't going well and he was going through a hard time. My mom came to me one day and said, I'm concerned about your dad. I jumped in the car that day, drove to Torrance and I remember driving up and seeing where he was living and just could not believe he was living in that trailer so that I could have my senior year. You, you see what I'm saying? It's a big piece mentality. It's a big piece mentality. How can I serve you? And let me ask you a question. I'm going to do a little test here, a little bit of self-inventory. And I'd like you to just think about your own life. And you know, you're not going to have to raise your hands or anything. But let me ask you, are you a big piece person? You know, this is what it means to follow Jesus. We're learning to be big piece people, to give away the big piece. Are you that? If like in your family, if would your spouse or would your children, if you're married, would they say that you give the big piece or you take the big piece? How about on your job, your job site or your office, wherever you work? Um, are, are you the sort of person that's always looking out just for number one, covering your own tail, or are you looking out for your team? Big piece or a small piece person? Um, your friendships, do you use people in your friendships or do you serve people in your friendships? And then as a church, because that's what we're talking this series about. As a church, do you come to Rocky Peak? When you walk in the doors, 
this morning, when you go to your life group, are you going with an attitude of what can I give? Or are you going with an attitude of what can I get? Are you a giver or are you a taker? When the church makes a decision, we're going this way, we're going that way, we're making this decision, are you a, a person that says, how does that affect me or how does that affect the body? You see? So rule number two, put others first. Now, by the way, none of these rules are easy, are they? <laughs> it's like we, we've got to, we, we have to enter into school with Jesus. Like we've got to become apprentices and say, we're not real good at this, can you teach us? Because this stuff doesn't come naturally. Number three. The third rule is to get along. I told you it wasn't going to get easier. Get along. Okay. I, I don't know if you've ever been riding in a car with little kids in the back seat that can't get along. You ever had that experience? Okay, we, it sounds like a lot of us have been there. Okay, you know that moment where you just want to turn around and smack them? You know? Now, now, you, you, now, now under, under normal good circumstances, we would, we would restrain ourselves because the proverb says a, a, a wise man restrains his anger. And so we remember that verse in the nick of time. And, and we, we, we don't turn around and smack them. Um, but have you ever found yourself saying or thinking, why can't you just get along? Like, what's wrong with you? You look like you have average or above intelligence. You know, your brother is not an alien. You know, it's, can't, can't we just get along? Well, you know what? God often looks at his church and says, you know, would you knock it off? I just want to turn on smack you. Could you just get along here? You see? I want you to look at this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, you won't be looking at this verse this week, so you'll want to pay attention now. Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul's writing, he's in prison, by the way, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Hey, we've got a high calling here. You know, we're, we're sons and daughters of God. He says, live up to your calling. He says, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then here comes our verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, make every effort to get along. Every effort. Strain at this. Make this a top priority. You've got to learn to get along with one another. And you know, frankly, this doesn't come naturally. Because as human beings who have been affected by the fall and sin entering into the world, by nature... And I want you to catch this. Our natural human nature is not to get along. Our natural human nature is to divide, to fight, to get jealous, to be envious, to have dissensions, to have factions. I remember thinking through the different places I've worked in my life. I think through working at Allstate Insurance as a claims adjuster, and how I dreaded many times going into the lunchroom because all the bickering and the fighting and the the gossip, and it's just like, I didn't even know how to deal with it. Like, like, what do you say? 
You know, you say like, yeah, he really is a jerk. Well, that didn't seem like a good thing to say. You know, do you say, well, but he has positive attributes. That seems really corny to say. You know, it's like, what do you... And I think through different places uh, I've worked. And it's just, this is human nature. We, we love to believe in this day and age that human nature is good. It's only corrupted by circumstance. The Bible says exactly the opposite. That we're fighters by nature. And in fact, there in your note sheet, I put Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul says the acts of the sinful nature. That's what he means, sinful human nature. He's talking about human nature. He says they're obvious. So look at some of these. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Think of the place where you work. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Factions. Envy. This is natural stuff. So here's the point, man. When we come to Jesus, if we're going to learn to do relationship a new way, this is not always easy. This is where we've come from. This is ingrained in us. We've got bad habits. We've got ways of relating that aren't healthy. We're going to have to let the Spirit teach us to do relationships a new way. And the sad thing is, this is often true, you know, in the business world or on the job site or whatever, we see this kind of thing happening. But you know, the sad thing is that it's also often true in the church, isn't it? I mean, churches are often more well-known for their church splits and fights than anything else. If you've been a Christian a long time, you've been in different churches, you know it's often the case. And somehow we've missed the boat here. Somehow we, we've thought that the, the Christian message is you, you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and now you're going to heaven. End of story. No, it's the start of the story. Here's the story. You accept Jesus into your life as your Lord and your Savior, and you're a baby, and you don't know diddly squat. And now it's time to start learning how to do life a new way. That's the story. And he's going to come along and mentor us in one of the most important areas where Jesus wants to mentor us is in the area of relationships, in this whole area of getting along. Now, a couple skills we're going to have to learn as a body here at Rocky Peak. If we're serious about habit number four, if we're serious about doing relationships the right way, there's a couple critical skills that we're going to have to learn. And we don't have time today to go into great detail about them or talk in great depth. That's not what we're going to do. But I just want to get them on the table because the whole point of this series is saying here are seven habits of a healthy church. In a few weeks, you're going to have a chance to decide whether you want to join the company that committed, whether you're in, whether you say, yes, I want to be a part of this movement. I want to make these seven commitments so that I can be part of what God is doing here at Rocky Peak. And you're going to have to decide. And so in this series, each week, what I'm doing is laying out, here's what this, this habit means. Here's what it looks like. It's not that we have it all perfect. It's not we say, yes, I'm already doing that. It's saying, yes, I accept that as a standard for my life. I will be devoted to that. I will f- learn how to do that in my life. And so in this habit number four, we're going to talk about a couple critical skills. I don't have time to go into all the details. In the weeks and months and years to come, we will talk often about these things, okay, about these skills. But it's important to get them on the table now so you know what you're committing to in a few weeks, all right? So here they are. Number one, the first skill is how to work through conflict. This is one of the most important skills in life. And I'll tell you what, it's one of the things that we're we're the worst at. Okay, this is not natural. This is something you didn't, probably didn't learn growing up. You probably haven't been taught this through your workplace. You know, probably very unusual that learning to work through conflict is one of the most important yet difficult lessons in life. We've talked before about our natural instinct during conflict. It's things like this, attack, 
withdraw, pretend, manipulate, ignore, right? All things that don't work. All things that don't make healthy relationships. All things that lead to bad relationships. And so if we're serious about habit number four, it means as a congregation in the months and the years to come, we're going to learn as a congregation how to do conflict. You may have never learned that. Someone may have never taught you. And that's okay. We'll, we will learn this together. But we're going to learn how to do that. The second, the second skill we have to learn is we have to learn how to forgive. And if learning how to work through conflict is hard, learning how to forgive is harder. It is the hardest lesson. It's one of the hardest lessons in life. But it's essential for being a healthy church. We have to come to the place where forgiveness, uh, here at us at Rocky Peak, forgiveness is a way of life. It's not an exceptional thing we do. It's not something we do once every five years. It's a way of life. You know, we'll talk more about that in a second. Now, a couple of verses just to underscore each of these, the conflict and the forgiveness. Uh, there in your note sheet, we, we read through Romans 12 before. I want to come back now that we've talked about how to work through conflict, and let's see what Paul says. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil times of conflict you do not go on the attack okay if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone so he says a top priority for your church you need to try to learn to get along do not be overcome by evil these times of conflict but overcome evil with good we're going to learn not to retaliate but to move forward with good in order to restore you see these are rules of relationship under conflict. Now let's talk about forgiveness. Uh, let's go back to Ephesians 4 again. And I hope this week in your life group homework and when you're doing your personal study, don't rush through this. Let this sink in. You know, read through Ephesians 4 and the first part of 5 in your homework. Kind of accept it for what it is. These are rules of relationship. Let it sink into you. Do some self-examination. The homework's going to ask you, where is your strong? What comes naturally? Where you've grown the most? Where do you need to grow? Use this as a time for reflection. But in chapter 4, in verse 31, he says, uh, get rid of all bitterness. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you the verse. 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness. He says, in the body of Christ, there is no room for bitterness. If we've got bitterness, we can't just live with that. We can't say it's okay. We have to say, okay, this is not okay. Somehow I need to get rid of this. I might not know how to get rid of it, but I'm going to have to learn. We have to get rid of rage. We have to get rid of anger. We have to get rid of brawling and slander. No more fights in the lobby. Um, along with every form of malice. That pretty much takes it all in, doesn't it? He kind of like gives you several examples. He says, okay, let's, along with every form, if there's anything I've missed here, <laughs> and it's, it's covered. Instead, we're to be kind and compassionate, but look at this, forgiving each other. See, right there is the core of this, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And look at the next line. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We're, we're his kids. We're to imitate our dad. Like a little kid will imitate their dad. We're to imitate our father. And we're to live a life of love as Christ loved us. So what does it mean to imitate our father? What does it mean to live a life of love? It means things like getting rid of bitterness. It means things like 
forgiving, you see. So these are not easy lessons, but they're important lessons. I was talking with one of the leaders of our church recently, and I shared a story with some of us, and I asked him for permission to share it this week. He he said that uh, not too long ago, he was coming in on a Sunday morning. He came in, and he saw a lady that he knew had been um, hurt through the whole situation with the previous pastor here in the last couple of years. And it was really cool because he said, Mike, you know, he says, I came in, he said, I'm really trying to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit in my life. And he said, you know, I, I came in, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to go talk to her. And, and you know, and so he, he made his way over, and he said, hey, you know, how are you doing? How, how are things going? And how are you dealing with that whole situation? And they, she began to share, and they had a really good talk about it. And then he said to her, he said, you know, as one of the leaders of this church, you know, I may have done things that have made the whole situation harder for you. And if there's anything that I've done, I just want to apologize for that and ask you to forgive me. Now, was that relationship totally healed? I don't think so. It's not the way healing works. Healing usually is a process, isn't it? But it was the first step, wasn't it? It was the first step. And, and you see, here's the question I asked for you here at Rocky Peak. Is there anyone in your life here at Rocky Peak that you're at odds with? That there's an old bitterness. It might be from 10 years ago. It might be from two years ago or seven months ago. But there's someone in your life. There's a bitterness there towards. And you've been sort of nurturing that bitterness and protecting that bitterness and hiding that bitterness and cherishing that bitterness. Because they did you wrong. And, and so you have a right to hold on to this bitterness. You see, I think Jesus would say, no, no, none of us has a right to hold on to our bitterness. If we're serious about following him, it's not just about accepting Jesus as your personal savior and waiting for heaven. If we're serious about following Jesus, it's about learning to do relationships habit number four the right way. And you probably need to go and you might not be very good at it. And it's really okay. Just be honest. Just say, you know what? I sense there's something between you and me. I, I don't want there to be something between you and me. You know, if I've been contributing to the part of it, I'm sorry in that. Is there some way that we can be closer? Is there something that we can do to make this better? I just want to have right relationship with you. You see, we can do that. We can do that. Erwin McManus is one of my favorite authors. He's a pastor here in the L.A. area, nationally known speaker and author. Has a great quote there on your note sheet from his book, An Unstoppable Force, which is really a book about the church. And he says, the Christian community is not a place without interpersonal crisis or challenge. In other words, hey, men and women, wake up. We're going to hurt one another. This is the church of Jesus, and if I can guarantee you anything about the church of Jesus, is sooner or later we will hurt one another. You know, if we think it's not true, then you have to ask yourself, well, why does it tell you to stop having bitterness and to start forgiving one another? And to bear with one another. Why is it there? Because Paul assumes it's going to happen. We're going to let each other down. You take it to the bank. See, what distinguishes the church of Jesus is not that we never have conflict. It's how we resolve our conflict. So he says the Christian community is not a place without interpersonal crisis or challenge. But in some sense, I love this. In some sense, we are all hypocrites in transition. Isn't that great? 
We are hypocrites in transition. We're learning. He says, we're all working it out. Sometimes we're fighting with God. Sometimes working with God. That's why biblical community is such an extraordinary gift. It's not about being perfect or loving people who are always easy to love. It's about loving people through the love of God. It's about being loved even when you blow it. Being loved even when you don't deserve it. And being loved by others who know you all too well. Even when, it find it, when you find it difficult to love yourself. You see? Habit number four. What's it about? Right relationships. It's about learning to take care of one another. It's about learning to give others a big piece. And finally, it's learning how to get along. And that's what God's calling to us as a church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together and to talk about these things and to talk about your number two priority. After habit number one of loving you with all of our heart, God, you call us to the second priority of learning to love one another and do relationships in a whole new way. And God, we are just the first to admit we're really babes at this. We're not real good at it. We don't know how. We come from backgrounds we often haven't been taught. We're really new at this, but we're also serious that we don't want to just do things the whole old way. We don't want to stay stuck in our old ways. That We want to move on and take new ground and learn how to be a new kind of community, one that you are absolutely pleased with. We pray you'd teach us as a congregation. God, this is our prayer as a church of Rocky Peak. We ask you to teach us. Amen. So habit number four. Right relationships, learning how to love one another. You know, people who join the company committed don't have it all together in this area. Um, it's not like they're saying, you know, hey, I've got this down. Um, what they're saying is that I am absolutely unwilling to do relationships the old way. It's unacceptable to me that I really want to take Jesus at his word. I really want to enter into that school of discipleship with him and have him mentor me in relationships. I learn how to do them the right way. I want to learn how to take care of others. I want to learn how to put others first. I want to learn how to work through conflict for, for the sake of the whole, you see. May, may we be a congregation that embraces that and says, Jesus, this is your top number two priority in life, following you. We can't escape this. We can't avoid this. And why would we ever want to? Why would we want to keep doing relationships the old way, you see? May the Lord be with you this week. May it be a week where God meets you around unexpected corners. May it be a week where you find him to be your rock and your strength, your deliverer, your fortress. May experience him as the warrior in your life who fights over you and sings over you in the same day. May he be the one who fills you from the inside out and changes you to have more of his heart. And may he make you to be a light unto the world, whether it's in your family, in your community, on the job site. And we come back next week to take another step in this journey towards following him. God bless you. We'll see you then.